Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. As always, thanks for taking the time to spend a little bit of it with us. Well, golf right now, it's the month of October. It's glorious in the Northeast quarter. This is the time of the year that so many people wait for. The professional game, kind of all over the map. The PGA Tour has reset the pins are in Vegas this week. You will see some of the top players who will cherry pick an event or two before Thanksgiving. You'll see them coming up over the next three to four weeks. The European Tour is actually, I think, in a sweet spot considering they had the BMW PGA a couple of weeks ago. They were just at the Dunhill Links. Very huge win on his birthday to win at the old course. That was Danny Willett, LPGA and PGA Tour champions. Their very elongated seasons continue. Well, the guy who's going to join us this week is somebody who has had a very good career and a very interesting one. He's going to turn 35 in the month of December, and he just won the BMW PGA at Wentworth. The second American to do so. The last one to do it, Arnold Palmer in 1975. He's won a Tour Championship. He's won a World Golf Championship. He's won a FedEx Cup, and that's Billy Horschel. And Billy is somebody who, my mom even texted me last night, and she said, oh, I really like him. He's glib. Well, he's been called that. He's been called brash. He's been called cocky. But the thing that I always attribute to Billy when it comes to his thoughts, he's a righteous dude. He's going to tell you what he thinks about a myriad of subject matter. And this is somebody who, you know, kind of had to bounce his way back and forth early in his career from going to Q School, the old incarnation of Q School, to finally finding his footing on the PGA Tour. And along the way, like with anybody, life can get in the way. And we're going to talk about that as well. But he is somebody who, when you consider six wins and the profile of the wins that he has, he is headed toward possibly and probably a 10-win career. And you add to that the bold type of winning a FedEx Cup title. And most importantly, he has thoughts on a ton of stuff. So with that, we welcome in Billy Horschel. Billy, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Gary. How about you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, it's good to see you. I know you're in Gainesville. You've been all over the place. Uh, let's start with where you were just last, because I think I think it signifies something. You're going to be 35 in December. Uh, I think we all kind of reprioritize things in life. Uh, for you to take your dad to the old course to play in a great event at the Dunhill Links, uh, when, when did that kind of start to germinate in your mind that you wanted to do that? Uh-uh. I'm not sure if it actually germinated in my mind first. I think it came into my my uh, teens' mind. We playing earlier, playing well earlier this year in the WC events and being high in the race to Dubai. Um, sort of change up our, our schedule on the European tour. Uh, became a possibility that uh, we're going to be playing in Dubai in November. I needed to fulfill my uh, European membership um, requirements, um, and then we had to pick out one or two other events that we needed to play in to fulfill those uh, requirements and. Um, one of my team members, Mark Horan Hortzi, said, hey, we should play Dunhill um, due to the fact that it's it's a bigger purse, but there's more points there um, awarded. And I was like, well, that's that's when my dad's seventh birthday is. I'm sort of surprised, you know, playing this surprise trip with him and about 14 other guys. Um, and he goes, well, see if they can play, see if you can bring your dad over and play with them. And um, I was like, OK, I'll ask. And uh you know, Dunhill and Johan Ruper were very nice to to um, allow my dad to play with me, and and it was a fun week. It was it was awesome for him to be able to play those great go- golf courses. Uh, St Andrews, the home of golf, was unbelievable. So it was just a really fun week of golf that uh, you know all got started in in late July and and came to fruition uh, last week. You know, I, I've known that you've always had a special relationship with your father. Do you find yourself still learning things from him? And if so, what what more recently? Yeah, my dad's been great. Um, you know, he's he's the reason I play golf. He's the reason I am who I am. My parents are a big influence in my life. Uh, I think what I'm learning from my dad is that I've always seen my dad growing up as this hard, you know, individual that is so work driven and and he does have a good time, but as he's gotten older, I've seen a softer side of him that I probably didn't get to see when I was a younger kid. And I think that's allowed me to to be a little bit easier on myself, 
be a little bit more um, understanding of, of things in life and of people around me. And it's just been, um, you know, I, even even at 30, almost 35, and, and he turned 70, I'm still learning from him and I'll still learn from him till, till um, you know, he, he leaves this place. You know, you mentioned the race to Dubai and you're set up to pull this thing off. And in large measure by you going over and winning the BMW PGA, the second American to do so, Palmer did it in 1975. You know, when you went over there in 2019, you played well. And clearly the, the event, the entire experience left an impact on you. I think winning outside of your own borders is a big, big deal. I, I think it's significant. It's bold type at the end of a career. Um, have you had a moment to reflect on how significant winning that event at that place was for you? Yeah. Uh, I have. It, it's amazing. I, I've, I've told people that, and I, you hear players talk about when you win, you should enjoy it. You should really take it in and, and understand what you just accomplished. And, and sometimes, and not sometimes, every time I've won, I've never really sat back and, and been like, wow, this is unbelievable. And being on cloud nine and sort of really take it all in and fully understood what you just did. Um, I've always gone on, okay, what's next? What you know, what's the next tournament to win? What let's get ready for the next tournament. Um, but there was something about winning the BMW PGA, playing at Wentworth, um, finally getting a, a win outside the United States um, that it for two weeks until I left to go back over there to play Dunhill. I was I was on cloud nine. I couldn't I was trying to wrap my head about what I had just accomplished. And it, um, you know, people would have thought I would have been like that with the FedEx Cup. But I was 20, I think 26 or 27 when I won the FedEx Cup. I was still young. I was still, you know, maybe a little bit naive and, and understanding, you know, how professional golf works. But now being at almost 35 years old, you sort of realize, um, you know, the wins, you know, are few and far between for some of us uh, or pretty much all of us, except for a handful of players. But uh, that win really was the first one where I sat back and for days I just had this big, massive smile on my face and, I was trying to just, you know, take it all in and try to fully understand what I just accomplished. You know, you mentioned the equivalency of that, of that to a player's, and that's fair. Uh, a flagship event, uh, you know, a star-studded field, the, the gravity and the weight of doing it uh, adds pressure. Give people a sense of what, what's the difference in the texture of an event like that to a big event in the United States? I don't think there is much difference. I said it in 2019 and I said it again um, a month ago. Um, that event can rival any event on the PGA Tour schedule. The support they get from the fans. I mean, it's 25,000 people strong and it's 25,000 people strong starting on Tuesday. Uh, they, they love coming out and supporting uh, that event that's been there since the 1950s. Uh, it's, it's a star-packed field. Um, I think it's going to even get better. I think you're going to start hopefully seeing maybe some of my fellow players on the PGA Tour start going over there a little bit more. Um, but that can rival any event on the PGA Tour. And, and I truly meant it when I said it. It's, it's right there with the Players' Championship. Um, it means a lot to European Tour players if they win it. Uh, and, and it means a lot to the European Tour, the whole event, and, and put it on a first-class uh, way I mean the PGA Tour the Players Championship is considered a gold standard you know that's what they want the Players Championship it's a gold standard and um, you know that's that's the gold standard for the European Tour is, is the BMW PGA you know the, the Rolex series events I, I think that they found a better place uh, for the lion's share of those where, where they are on the calendar what do you think the future is, Billy, with respect to this alliance with the European Tour and the PGA Tour, to be able to, to, to incentivize more Americans maybe being co-sanctioned and, and getting more American representation in some of those events? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, everyone's trying to figure out what this alliance is going to look like, how it's going to benefit both tours, um, how it's going to benefit global golf. I think in the future, I think what you're going to see is that uh, you're going to see a little, in my opinion, not that I've heard this from, from, from Jay or, or Keith, because I, I want to put that out there. I don't know any inside information, <laughs> even though I am on the pack. Uh, but I think what you're going to see is you're going to see um, uh, more co-sanctioned events, more co-sanctioned events uh, between the PGA European Tour 
And I think you're going to see um, events that um, are going to have a, a solid mixture of PGA Tour and European Tour players. players. Um, it's going to be like the WC events, uh, but it's going to be a co-sanctioned between two tours that's going to get star pl- star-studded players from both your from both tours at uh, venues around outside the United States um, that are just going to allow the game of golf to glow, grow, grow globally, but also is going to benefit the European Tour and the PGA Tour and everyone who's involved. You know, Billy, I was talking to Rich Lerner last night. I was mentioning that you and I were going to have a conversation, and and he said, you know, it's it's interesting. People used to call him brash. And then my mom, I texted my mom and I said, I'm, you know, Billy's coming on tomorrow. And she said, oh, I really like him. He's glib. And I'm thinking all these different terms for somebody who just has an opinion. I, I would use the term righteousness. Have you always had the kid from Bayside High School always have, the, you know, the guts to say what was on his mind? I think I do. I don't know why that is. I think uh, my parents are more reserved. <laughs> and and speaking uh, their minds outwardly about things or, or really giving their opinions. But um, I think it's probably being, you know, growing up uh, and working in a cart barn and being around some some old, old true Italian-Americans <laughs> that weren't afraid to tell you what they, they thought of you and, and, and a way things were done. Um, but I've always tried to go about it in the way that if I'm going to give my perspective on something my opinion i want to make sure I, i've understood the full you know i say 100 the 365 degree view so i can understand every view every viewpoint um so that i can't not that i can't be challenged but that when i do i'm not missing something when i do give my opinion and i can look like a fool if if i don't have the full perspective so um yeah i mean i understood there's a lot of different terms people have you praise for me and 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 some are good and some are bad but uh, you know it, it's it's the world I live in being a public uh, person and, and I'm okay with that you know Billy to me and I go back to to moments in your career uh, and again this was not so much about opinion but you were critical of the setup at Chambers Bay and you weren't the only one but but I think that that people who have intellect, have the, the willingness and the ability to let their opinion evolve. And, and you don't have to continue to insist that you're right. You can learn new information. Um, have, have you learned that about yourself, that it, it's okay to not necessarily have a perspective that, that three, five years from now, it's going to be different for a lot of different reasons. Have you learned that about yourself? I have. You know, that's, that's a great point when you, when, you're, when you were talking just about that. I think my my viewpoint on, let's just say the USGA and rolling back distance and rolling mm-hmm. back the ball, and I was very strong that we shouldn't roll back the ball. The ball's not the issue. It's the players, it's the technology, it's track, man, all this other stuff. And, and maybe at the beginning, I didn't fully understand what the USGA was trying to do. And I don't think the USGA understood what they were trying to do a handful of years ago, At the to be honest with you. But I look at the game of golf now, and I think it's – it's great amateur golf it's awesome but i think professional golf i think were the the, and i think some of my peers feel the same way the professional game of golf you're losing some skill aspect in it you you know you're not getting rewarded for being able to drive the ball straight anymore um i'm okay if somebody wants to hit 330 yards and hit in the middle of the fairway but if they hit it offline let's penalize them um, I, I believe it's, it's a skill to be able to read a green and not use a green book. Um, so my perspective has changed where I was a hard line. Hey, no, let's not do anything about technology. Let's not roll back the ball. Let's not do anything. Everything's great. So now I'm like, okay, I think we need to really look at this. And I think there is something there. So I think as I have gotten older, what some of my, you know, opinions and perspective were on things have changed as, as I've gotten older and as I've you know, try to learn more and bring in more knowledge of certain subjects. Billy, do you think that a couple hundred people, and primarily men, because that is where the distance debate comes in, uh, should be the driving force to the guidelines in the game of golf for the millions of people who play it, very much unlike the way you guys do? Because I, I think that that's dangerous at times to, to be setting down the framework of how the game is supposed to be played based on the way that it's being played by people who are very unusual. 
Agree. We we are very unusual. We're we're less than one percent of the population that play at such a high level that can do things with a golf ball that majority, you know, ninety nine percent of the other golfers can't. And I think it's a dangerous to to make some guidelines that could affect, you know, the 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 vast majority of golfers when you're really going after just a, a small a less than one percent of the golfers and. I think at the same time, you know, the way I look at it too is when do the USGA start, you know, challenging architects and developers in the sense of building these golf courses and, and the building these 75, 7,700 yard golf courses that would, no one can play except the guys who play professionally. Like, let's get back to building 7,000, 7,200 yard golf, golf course. Like, those are the fun courses that are still challenging if set up right for professional golfers. I look at Hilton Head. I look at mm. um, Greensboro sure. and when what's uh, what's the course there? Sedgefield. Drawing blank. Sedgefield. Um, I'm looking at you know Wentworth is not a long golf course yep. in Europe. I think it's we, I think it's maybe 7,200 yards. I think we need to look at other ways about going about this and not just attacking uh, some of the the golfers for being you know, talented and, and using athletic ability and, and the technology that is given to them. You know, you played well at Marion in 2013, and that I thought was a litmus test to, to the modern advances of, of distance uh, and, and truly a, a historic venue. Um, did they manipulate that golf course too much? Or do you think that they walked the line when it came to setting it up and making it equitable and fair uh, but also challenging you guys. Yeah, you know, I, I heard that week. Uh, I know Zach Johnson and a few other players talked about that they manipulated it and they tricked it up. And I, I don't know what they did. I remember playing the U.S. Amateur there in 2005. And I don't know much. I don't know how it was set up much different. Um, you know, so what if they brought in the fairways a little bit and they made the rough a little bit longer? But, I mean, people forgot. One over par one. And it pounded down rain on Monday yeah. earlier in that week and, and we had delays and, and I just, I, I just think to myself, like, imagine if that course would have been firm and fast. It would have had you thinking about what clubs to hit it off tees because of the way the fairways run out and the way the greens were, you know, it could have been a five, six, seven over par winning score on a less than 7,000, 7,100 yard course. And I don't think it would have been tricked up in my opinion at all. I, I, you know, I don't know when people say something's tricked up, what they're fully um, getting at, if they're not going to use an explanation uh, to it. But I thought it was pretty a great setup that was fair and challenging. And, and you got a great winner in Justin Rose, and you had Phil Mickelson up there, Luke Donald, who was a yeah. top ten player in the world. You, you had Jason Day, who was a you know a rising star, who had just won the Byron Nelson, I think, the year earlier. Uh, so you had a great list of. Um, contenders up there that were top players in the game yeah hunter mahan was also right there he was a top yeah. player at that time as well i thought it was a good mix of style uh at the at the top of the leaderboard you know you you mentioned the softness of it to me i, I you know moisture is like chum for you guys i i want to see a golf course firm fast like i would love to see augusta national crispy uh, come April to see you guys in the challenge of the precision of, of where to miss it uh, and hitting it to the right quadrants on those greens is Augusta national at its best. The rare times that you get to see it when it's bouncy. Yeah, I, I saw it this year, Thursday afternoon. I teed off late. It was dry. It was windy. And I mean, it was, it was a challenge. It was a true challenge. And I'm not sure we got, I can't remember. We got rain maybe that night or, moisture but came out next morning the greens were a little bit softer and it never got that firm fast for the guys in the afternoon and i just felt like saturday sunday never quite got there um you know it, it's funny there's that there's that challenge i like i'm, I'm the same thing i want to see a course firm fast it makes you think about where to land the ball in the green when the green's firm you know do i lane it five paces short do i lane it 10 paces short you got to control the trajectory and spin into the green it, it just brings more factors into the game uh, when you're choosing a shot, um, I, 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 several players and I have talked about this. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, 
but some of these moisture meters that they go around, you know, mm. checking the moisture at greens, I think that's obviously been a benefit to the game of golf. But I also think it's been a, the, uh, not a deterrent, but it has hurt in sense of they're going off some moisture readings to say, hey, this green's a little dry, let's water it. And then it get it too soft. Um, you know, and I know there's many other factors with humidity and what it's supposed to do during the day. If it's going to be high humidity, less humidity, wind and everything. But, you know, it just seems like sometimes they're always too afraid to lose the golf course. And I don't think we we have lost a golf course over the last handful of years besides maybe a Shinnecock. And that's USGA again. (laughs) But um, but I don't I, I think everyone's so afraid to get a course too firm and too fast and too bouncy. And, and we haven't had that happen in, in a handful of years uh, that I can remember. You know, you, you mentioned the USGA, but you've always been an advocate. You've been supportive of the organization and particularly at a time where, you know, they've kind of had their, you know, their gloves down and people have taken shots at them over the last 10 years. Who does get it the most right on an annual basis when it comes to the setup of, of a championship golf course? That's tough. That, that's really tough. Um I think they all do a really good job in different ways. You know, I think when it came to USC, I think what I think a lot of guys were just upset with was just the pin locations. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to Jason Gore when he came on as um, his new role with the USGA. I can't remember what his, what his exact title is. But he, but one thing he wanted to get across to USGA was that, listen, this pin right here is a dicey pin. If the wind gets comes from a different direction, or the greens get a little firmer or faster than you guys anticipate. This could be dicey. If you move it one or two paces over here, this is still a really good pin placement, but it protects, it protects you guys from looking like idiots. If the greens dry out or the wind hap, you know, gets a little too, um, you know, picks up and blows a certain direction. Um, I think Kerry Hague and PGA um, um, of America do a pretty good job, mm-hmm. you know, I think our PJ tour rules officials do a, a really good job week in and week out. Obviously they are fortunate that they can do it 47 weeks out of the year. So, right. and, and we get to play a lot of this, we get to play all the same courses every year. So they understand, you know, what needs to be done. Uh, but I, you know, that's why I think for the tour player, we've always tried to push these organizations to use our, our rules officials and use our setup guys um for help and 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 don't think that by asking for help that that means that you guys aren't able to do it it's just hey no when you have someone who's experiencing they get to do it 40 plus 50 weeks out of the year they're going to have a little bit more knowledge of 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 certain pin locations conditions set up everything they're just going to have a little more knowledge you, you know when you think about you know these organizations and that they they seem to have I think that they have everybody's best interest at heart. And it sometimes, uh, you know, there can be situations that, again, not executed properly. I had Phil Mickelson on here a couple of weeks ago, and he thought Jason Gore's hiring was the best thing the USGA has done in a long time. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. Every year, I, I, I said it to Mike Davis early on, and, and they send us a, um, you know, a, a review of the week you know, an email with, can you review, you know, certain things about the U S open, what we can do better. And I think every year I put in there, Jason Gore is the greatest hire in <laughs> USJ history. And you guys should pay him a raise. You guys should, should, should um, give him more money. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. It doesn't really matter because Mike Wan's the, the CEO now, but I've actually, uh, you know, pushed for Jason Gore to get that position. And I know he put his name in the hat. I wrote a letter of support for Jason Gore because um, I thought he would be ideal for it. Obviously, there's more of a business side to USA sure. when you're CEO, but I thought there's certain things that Jason Gore um, could bring that could really help USGA. And he's such a great guy and he's been such a great friend of mine. He gave me some great advice early on when I turned pro, right when I came out of college. Um, and I, I think the world of him and he's been, I, I echo Phil's uh, comments. He's a, he's the best thing that's happened to USGA in years. Mike Wan's coming on here in a couple of weeks and, and look, he's got, he's got some interesting things that he's got to, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call him attacking them, but he's got to address. And the distance thing is one of them. What do you think you need to see you guys in a collective would like to see from him over the next 18 to 24 months? 
you know, speaking for the tour player, I think we would just like to be able to see him in person and yeah. be able to talk to him in person. I think uh, for a tour player, when you're going to affect our business, we want to be able to have communications with you and not do an email and not do a, a phone call or a text, but person to person. So we can sort of look in your eyes and see the facial expressions and, and see how you react to certain things. Um, I just think that um, would be beneficial to Mike Juan and it would be beneficial to him to go talk to the LPGA and, and the people in the champions tour and go talk to amateur golfers as well, go around and, and, and around the country and show up at, you know, a Muni or a private club and, and, and see where they stand on certain things. I think that would be beneficial to him with some of the decision he has, has to make. And, and I, I think I met Mike Juan maybe once or twice, and I think he's done an unbelievable job with LPJ tour and he's been successful with wherever he's been. I think he's going to be great with the USGA. Um, but yes, like you said, he's got some big decisions that they have to make. And, and um, you know, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see, you know, the path that they go decide to go down. You know, Billy, when you were younger, and, and this is true of everybody, I remember Rory, this might have been in 2016, it was the whole thing about the Olympics, and he said, look, I didn't get into this to grow the game. And I didn't get, I didn't take umbrage with that. Why, why would he? Nicholas didn't, Palmer didn't. They got in it to play golf and to beat people. Uh, when, did your, when did your mind start to pivot to a sense of responsibility, like you mentioned the PAC, you're now the chairman of the AJGA. When did your mind start, start to kind of go in a place where you're like, you know what, I'm in a position to impact other things and I'm gonna take the responsibility to do it? Yeah, I, I mean, I echo Roy's comments. I mean, I got in this to play the game of golf and compete and, and make a living out of it. and. Um, and obviously there was that charity aspect to give back because that's what a lot of guys did you know whole foundations whole charity events you know give back to you know something that is near and dear to your heart uh but you know to think about being role models and giving back to the game i would say you know probably about five years ago six years ago i mean you know when my wife and i had always talked about holding ajj event um you know around 2014 2015 and then when the AJGA finally approached us and that we were sort of at that point, like, Hey, this is, this is what we want to do. We want to uh, hold an event where players can showcase their skill, hopefully get scholarships. We can teach them or, or hopefully give them some advice of what to expect in college and in life. Uh, and so, and then from there, that is sort of just that fire continued to grow. And then um, that led to holding an APGA tour event, um, this past July here at TPC Sawgrass, um, it was an unbelievable event, and I'm excited to to continue forward and to grow that event. Um, but I I've always understood that the game of golf, like all of us who's played, is so great, and it doesn't mean you have to play professionally um, to to be successful. This game can open up so many doors uh, in life, and uh, it can you know people you meet, you just never know how that can influence mm -hmm. and affect your life, and so. I've seen it, and that's why I try to get across to all these kids is be respectful. You just never know who you can meet on a golf course or maybe off a golf course just because you're wearing golf clothes and, and they say something um, that they could have an effect in your life um, in such a positive change. And 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 the game of golf, like I said, is it, so great. So um, that's what we try to really get across to you know everyone when when we're trying to give back a little bit. You know, Billy, I, I was always kind of reluctant and still am to, to start evaluating performance because you never know what's going on in somebody's life. And, and I look at you now and my perception though, is that you are, you're in a sweet spot, that there is, there, there are kids that are growing and you found a place in Aspen where your life, you and Brittany, your life is enriched. Um, how have you gotten there? Oh, you know, just like everyone, we all have challenges in life. And I think um, when when the public looks at, you know, an athlete or, or a movie star or a celebrity or whatever, you know, someone who's in the public image, they think their life is so great because they're making money, they're doing unbelievable things and they're going to all these great places and they don't have the challenges as someone who's working a nine to five job. And, and that's not the that's no I mean, that's nowhere. That's the farthest thing from the truth. I mean. Um, I think, you know, most people, we have a lot of people know that my wife 
you know, deals with alcoholism. And we had a battle with that in 2016. And she dealt with that for, you know, three to five years before she finally decided to, to, to get sober. And, and so, and then from that learning experience, um, you know, or, or her going through that experience, we had to work on our mar marriage. I mean, our marriage wasn't great. We loved each other, but we didn't communicate well. We didn't, you know, you know, get along as well as we wanted. And there were certain issues that we had to, to work on and get better at. And, and, and so from there, we, you know, just inch by inch, you know, worked on it and gotten better. And, and I, you know, I am in a nice spot in my life right now. I've got three healthy kids that drive us absolutely insane and, and, but they're <laughs> wonderful. I've got a wife who is an absolute rock star that allows me to focus on my game of golf and, and, and practice and do all the crazy things that, you know, come up in my head. And I don't know how I find time. I mean, as you said, you know, you know, things I I'm, I'm involved in and, and, you know, helping out the university of Florida men's golf team and all this other stuff that keeps coming up. Uh, she allows me to do it. And so uh, she does an unbelievable job of when I'm gone and, and take care of the kids and running the house and, so it makes my life a lot easier, but we've just found that little sweet spot of what works for us. And, and it's, it's been, you know, it's a long journey, like everything, and it's never going to end, but, you know, we figured if we can just keep working on and keep trying to get a little bit better every day, it, it sort of, uh, you know, gets to a spot where it just feels like you can breathe a little bit sometimes. Yeah. You know, I saw you and Brittany at the Westin in Jersey city a couple of years ago during the Northern trust. And I told her that she was an inspiration now i've never spoken about this publicly now you know uh there you know there's a reasonable number of people uh in in the the industry of golf now i'm an alcoholic um and you know for me when i look at Brittany, i can identify with her because it's a disease of the brain and um, you know, the, the challenges that I have, I, you know, I've, I've read things that she's written about or talked about. You guys went on Good Morning America. How, how can you try to understand something that you never really will be able to truly understand? And thank God you won't, because it, it really, it's a form of insanity. Um, but I, and I, I knew that this might come up and I told myself that it, if it did, uh, I was going to talk to you about this because, um, again, you know, uh, some people know, uh, but, but finding a place in your life where trust gets rebuilt and, and there's a belief not only in her, but, but she and you, because without you, she can't do it. And I know that as somebody, I can't do it without other people. Um, is that been a day-to-day -day thing for you guys? Yeah, I think, you know, I never lost trust in my wife. I know. I know people that um, are around other people that have addiction. Uh, certain things happen that that the trust is lost in, in in those people that are seeing someone sort of, I would say, destroy their life with their addiction that they're dealing with. Um, um, but for me, I try to look at that my wife is, was fighting a battle that she wasn't fully prepared to handle. She didn't have all the she wasn't fully equipped to 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 deal with the challenges that she was dealt with and um i knew that she had to get the right equipment the right the right materials the right tools the right golf clubs whatever metaphor yeah. you want to use to to be able to fight this battle and but i knew truly down you know i knew in my heart who she truly was and so um i i just wanted to be by her side to give her the help then and, and to to give her um you know, the love and support she needed to, to fight this battle. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that, you know, she, she asked for help right away, or she was willing to get help when we brought it to her. Yep. And she hasn't had a relapse in five and a half years and she's doing really well. And I know it's not always that easy. I mean, I'm very blessed and very lucky that it's been an easier road than most people have, sure. but, um, it's been, it's been awesome to see. And, I know we've talked about this and yeah. when you fight in me with your, with your story and your, your struggle as well, I thought it was unbelievable um, to see who, how you've changed and, 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 and wh where you sitting at now is truly awesome. Um, and I think it's, you know, one thing we've, we've, we've tried to do and, and she does it obviously sharing her stuff on social media uh, with sobriety and addiction and, what people think 
the way, you know, society sees things, um, just trying to change their mind and, and change your views on, 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 you know, having drinks or the addiction side of it sure. or how you support somebody and everything has been unbelievable. But just trying to help one person is, is what the ultimate goal was. And we've been able to help more people, um, you know, just by being public and, and sharing certain things. And, um, it's, it's, it's amazing to see, like I said, I mean, I got chills cause I, I know you haven't talked about publicly, but never mentioned that I got, I got chills when you said that, because I know that's a big challenge and, and it's, it's sort of a stigma that people, you know, it, it shouldn't be, but people look or want to look down upon somebody who, who has, has, is an alcoholic or mm-hmm. a recovering drug addict or had an issue with addiction because there's nothing wrong with them. And I tell people they're the greatest people in the world who are actually re- in recovery because you know what? they're able to admit their weaknesses and their faults as a person. And they're okay with that. And they know how to handle that and what they need to do where other people in the society now can't, can't admit when they don't do something well and their weaknesses and their faults. And so I love the, the recovery, the, 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 the community of recovery because they're more honest and more truthful than what majority of people are in this world today. No, Billy, it's true. I, I, I've told people in my life, you know, if you want to hear truth, go to an AA meeting uh, mm-hmm. and you may not have anything in common and you may look at these people and then they start talking and you hear things and you go, that's me. And I, I same thing with Brittany talking about some of her things. And one of the things that she said was, I'm not ashamed. There's no shame. And I, I don't feel that either. And I, I, again, I didn't know when I was going to talk about this, it, but, but talking to you, again through this vehicle uh it made complete sense but it it, you know it made me think about you because you know look you're a worker and when you get out and and you're doing your job you're only as good as the focus that you have and you've even said you know i can compartmentalize things but during that period i couldn't do that when you were able to when you knew that that she was in a good place how much i don't want to say easy but but how much more capable were you to get yourself back in the vortex of doing the things that you and Todd Anderson like to do in order to prepare yourself to be as good as you can be? Did you find that starting to come back to you naturally in 2017? Yeah, I I would say about 2017 is when it started to happen. Yeah, I've always been really good when I get on the golf course or, you know, out on the practice that I, I can leave any of the issues you know, that are off the golf course there. Um, but, uh, you know, there was that struggle, um, you know, when, when Skylar came in, was born in 2014 and seeing certain things with Brittany and, and worrying that, Hey, is, is Skylar, you know, being take up, take, is Brittany taking care of Skylar? Are they both happy? What's going on? You know, what kind, what kind of condition is Brittany in? Um, but when, when Brittany got help and, and, you know, I would say when we flipped into the, the new year of 2017, I think I finally got comfortable in the sense that I could go to the golf course and not worry about what was going on at home. Um, I didn't have to worry about when I was coming off the golf course, what condition was I going to find my wife in after, after yeah. one of my rounds or at, when I came home, what condition was I going to find her at home? So it was, uh, it, it was a nice, I mean, not everyone has it that way. No. But I, and we, we all look for that nice equilibrium and nice, easy stuff. And, and I was fortunate enough that it's been that way. And, 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 but I said, it's, it's a challenge. It's a work every day. We both work at it. She works at it. As you know, um, it's not just, you know, that's why that's, it's the, the mantra of one day at a time. Yep. Yeah. You know, I've had friends who say, you know, how have you thought about, you know, the idea of not drinking for the rest of your life? And I said, I, I if I thought that way, I would have no chance. Um, I, I'm, I'm focused on, on today, but again, and I'll leave it with this, you know, look, I, I'm lucky. I've got the support of, of a great family, a great group of people that I'm working with now. I'm only as healthy as the love and support that I'm getting from the people that mean the most to me, uh, that, that, that there is an unconditional aspect of it. And I'm sure you see that in her from the people in her life, uh, that, that again, what you do, you're the only one who can swing the club. But if you don't have a team around you that believes in you, that supports you, and it's the same thing with her, there's no way that, that she would be able to achieve the things that she's doing. 
And I got to believe that for you guys as a reward, as a family, as your kids get older, that those things are going to be even more valuable to you guys. Yeah, it, it's it's just, like I said, I mean, I sit here and I'm, um, I'm blessed. I truly am. I mean, I grew up in, in Grant, Florida <laughs> to, to two parents that worked their asses off that didn't have college degrees, that we were lower middle class. Um, there was times that, you know, only one of my parents had a job for, for months at a time. And, and, and the life that, you know, I, you know, grinded out and built for myself and, and, and I say myself, but there's so many people behind the scenes that have been so help, you know, influential and, and, and have helped me get here, uh, that without them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been successful as successful and, and whether it be in golf course or in life and, and Brittany and I are just very fortunate to have those people that, that we can lean on, um, when we need help, um, they can give us direction. They can give us, you know, advice. Um, and, and so we, we just, um, we just, what we try to do is we know how blessed we are. We try to give back and, and try to give that same, um, support and, and advice and what we've learned to try and help so many people, um, whether it be friends, family, or, or strangers that come across. So, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know what the future holds for us, but I know together the way we are now and the way we work, if we continue to do that, you know, we're going to be accomplished, you know, many things on and off the golf course that, um, I don't think we could have ever imagined. No, and I, I think that, you know, again, gratitude is is at the forefront, I know, for you and, and for her. Is for, looking ahead to this year, look, I know you were disappointed with the Ryder Cup thing, and I know that you don't think you were, you know, you were shunned. Um, I know you wanted the, you wanted the call uh, at, at minimum, but when you look ahead uh, to this year, how do you goal set? You know, that's so funny because I think, I'm not one that write down goals. I'm not one that, you know, verbalizes my goals about, Hey, I want to win this. I want to do this. I mean, we have a couple of goals and, and usually the number one goal every year is to get to the tour championship to get to the tour championship. You've had a really good year. You've either had to win at least once, or you've had many, or you've had multiple times where you've had chances to win. Um, I just think that makes it a great year on the PJ tour. Um, I think what we, the goals we set are more or less, um, I I don't want to say, I say they're performance goals, like Mm -hmm. winning tournaments is like a results goal. Performance goals, what performance goals, like what are we trying to get better at in our game? What are we trying to get better at maybe physically, mentally? Uh, and, and so that, those are the goals we set. And, and, you know, then, you know, we take stock of where we are, you know, maybe three, six, nine months, you know, into that year to see if we have to make any tweaks to, you know, how we're going to, you know, accomplish those performance goals. So, you know, this, this new year I'm excited about because a lot of the stuff we've been doing behind the scenes that people don't see is starting to sort of show this year. I've won two really big events and, and that's been awesome. Um, I've got, uh, Mark Fulcher, Fuchs, who caddied yeah. for Justin Rose for so many years on my bag now. And he's been a just that sort of last little puzzle piece we all feel like on the team that we've been missing a little bit. Um, and and now we feel like we're we've got a really nice cohesive team that's working together that that isn't afraid to share their opinions and and speak up if we're not doing anything right, um, to be successful going forward. Because as I've told, you know my friends and family and some people like, yeah, listen, we can play golf. I can play golf till I'm 65 on the champions tour and, and, and do it. But I would love to play 10 more really successful years and then decide what I want to do. I mean, I want to be really successful the next 10 years. And if I decide to hang up the clubs and, and be a Justin Leonard and, and enjoy time yeah. with my family uh, in Aspen or in Ponte Vigia or wherever we want to be, that's, that's what I want to do. You know, Billy, when, when you look at the presentation of your product, uh, it's a new TV contract, new digital rights deal. You're aware of what's going on. You, you pay attention. Is the presentation of the PGA Tour product really good, excellent, or what are the things that you wish that they would impart upon the production and the presentation of what you guys do that's, that would be different? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think they do a really good job. I think certain networks do it a little bit better. I'm a little biased, um, uh, you know, on, on maybe one network over the other. But um, I, I, I think, you know, for me, you know, when I watch golf, I think what I get upset about is when an announcer uh, doesn't have the correct information yeah. on who the teacher is or what they've been doing or everything. That, 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 that annoys me a little bit. Um, I think the, the, the product itself and the way they go about it, I think has been unbelievable understanding Tiger and Phil aren't going to be there forever. And, right. and, and handful of years ago, they started to start showing younger players, um, you know, the players that were going to possibly be the next generation of guys. And, and I think they've done an unbelievable job and that's why our game and, the, and our ratings are so high um, because you got the likes of Justin Thomas, Jordan speed, Ricky Fowler, Dustin, Rom, um, you yeah. know, missing Brooks Kepka, Bryson. I mean, there's so many guys. And, and I think also what's so great about, you know, our generation now is that you have a lot of guys that are characters, maybe not the old school characters of the 50s, 60s, 70s that, that we saw, but they have a personality of themselves and they have a voice of, of their own. And, and I think the the coverage has allowed to you know, has shown that they have coverage that in a way that that has shown through to the fans. You know, social media, a couple last things and I'll let you go. Social media, you kind of divested yourself on a regular basis from Twitter uh, and, you, and you made that publicly. You, you said, listen, I'm not going to engage in this much more. Um, did you think that it was affecting whether it was your state of mind um, you know, whether it was you, that you found things that were very little to no value that you were devoting time to, which is what I, which is what I have tried to do. I read a book called Digital Minimalism by a guy named Cal Newport. And he said, strip all that stuff off your phone. I'm not telling you to become an Amish person, but over the next 30 days, find out what is of value to you. And you're going to find out that there are a lot of things you're devoting time to that have no value to your life. How did you how did you come to the conclusion that Twitter was just not a waste of time, but not as valuable as maybe you had, had you know given it prior? Yeah, I think you're right. The the value of Twitter wasn't there for me anymore. Um, you know, just regularly, routinely checking it, updating it, <laughs> um, sitting on the couch. Uh, you know, my kids are around. They watch TV, wanting to play. I'm not really wanting to do because I'm. Yep. I'm like, Okay, let's see what someone else is saying. Let's see what someone else, you know, and it may not have anything about golf. It's just what's going on in the world. You know, to tell you the truth, I got I got off Twitter because I got sick and tired of, of, of reading things from idiots and not about me, but just people's dumb opinions on on life that didn't have a great perspective or 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 didn't look at it in a bigger sense. You know, they looked at it in a very small little window and they gave their opinion on something. I just got sick and tired of, of, of reading these things from idiots. And, and, and obviously I'm being blunt on it, but that's what it was. And it was affecting me because I was getting upset reading these things. Yeah. And I was getting upset at myself. Like, why am I reading this dumb stuff? Like it's, it's not doing anything. I'm not getting any knowledge from it. It's not like I'm getting knowledge. Like when I, I watched the history channel, the Nat, Nat Geo channel, and there, and I'm, I'm gaining knowledge from this program that is talking about something in their, you know, the Roman culture or sure. the English heritage or something about in Africa on the safari about the animals. Like I'm gaining actual knowledge from that. And Twitter, I'm not gaining any knowledge, very little knowledge at all. Actually, I'm probably making myself dumber a little bit. Um, but, uh, and so I, I said, you know, I'm going to do a week without it. I think this was last August. And I went a week without it. And I was like, hey, I don't miss it. And I said, let's do two weeks. And then I said, you know what? I'm handing it over to Morgan Reimer, who who works with Fairway, my manager, Sherry Way at Fairway yep. Management. I said, Morgan, you've got my account. I'm posting a Twitter saying I'm not on it anymore. My team still runs it. They will, they will work with me on certain posts and and, and keep me in the loop. But uh, I'm leaving Twitter, and it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, I still have Instagram. I still look at a lot of videos. I still do that probably a little too much, but I'm not reading people's you know thoughts and stuff that just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, who do you like having conversations with that are among your peer group? Who, whose company do you like to keep? You know, I, I think um, I've always said this and a lot of people, you know, agree, you know, people around me agree. 
I'm a very, very like chameleon. Like I can, I can sort of, you know, move in and out with many different groups and get along with many different people and, and ideas and perspectives and, and, um, you know, but I think, I think Brant Snedeker is a very knowledgeable person. Um, I've actually obviously always gotten along with, um, you know, Rory and Adam. Um, but those two guys, I really love, you know, when I get paired with them mm -hmm. or I'm sitting at a lunch table with them because, um, I love to hear how they think and how they are looking at things, uh, and get their perspective on things. So I think they just have a really great understanding and knowledge of, of, go of, of golf and stuff outside the world. Um, so, you know, I'm sure I'm missing a few other guys in there. Um, but you know, if, if I was going to sit at a table and, and, and talk maybe some golf stuff and whether it be politics, business or whatever, Rory, Rory and Adam are two really good guys. Before I let you go, if you and I reconvene, you know, around the holidays next year, and I say to you, it's been, it's been a really good year. The, the reasons would be why. Everyone's still healthy in my life. Yeah. <laughs> my kids and, and wife and, and parents are still healthy. Um, professionally, professionally, it will yeah. be a really good year. Why? Professionally, um, I finally, I'm, I'll, I'll say this. I finally won a major. Yeah. I finally got my first major. If, if it would be, it, it'll be a great year if I get in 2022, is it, uh, if I win a major? Yeah, that would okay. be my response. Well, listen, yeah. you know, over the last couple of years, you know, we don't see each other uh, that often. But when we have, you've always said to me, you know, how are you? And you've said it with the look in your eye and with the tone in your voice that is about me. Um, and again, I wasn't sure that, that you know, I was going to talk about this. Uh, I'm glad I did. Uh, I, I've told you in front of you and, and Brittany that she is inspiring. Um, thank you for taking the time, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. I know how big it is to, to come out and, and, um, and mention something that, you know, can be very vulnerable to people. And, uh, you know, it, it's truly, it gives, it's going to give you so much more power now, buddy. So much more power. I, I, I truly believe it. Best to you and your whole crew. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. So thank you again to Billy Horschel. I, I've said this for, for some time and, and fortunate enough to, to be around him to understand that there's been a, a growing of depth uh, in him. But I appreciate his understanding and also uh, just being able to have the conversation uh, that we just had. As far as the game of golf, interesting week, as we pointed out at the top. Next week, the conversation's going to shift slightly. Riggs from Barstool Sports. Yeah, that guy. Everyone thought he was a menace. I'm here to say the guy is a bona fide asset to the game of golf. He will join us next week, and we appreciate you listening in to this Five Clubs conversation. We'll talk to you next week.